0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is Episode 9. We're joined today by the head of Benzinga Events and the co-host of the Cannabis Insider podcast, Elliot Lane. The Cannabis Capital Conference, followed by the Psychedelics Capital Conference, is just around the corner. Both will be taking place here in Miami Beach, April 11th through 13th. Elliot and I had a great conversation digging into the event and learning more about Benzinga. Find out more at benzinga.com forward slash events and enjoy the show. Elliot, welcome, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Rob, thrilled to be here, man. Thank you for having me. How are you?
0: Dude, doing well, doing well. I'm uh, happy to connect and I'm Honestly, looking forward to this conference coming around the corner.
1: Oh, me too. Uh, we are in Miami, April 11th and 12th. It's going to be exciting. Um, not sure if you can hear my dog, but very excited as well. Um, but that said, it, we are featuring politicians. We're featuring a lot of your major operator leaders and their executives, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S. We're featuring a bunch of services. Uh, You know, everybody needs uh, help on the financial side nowadays. So do you need money? Do you need people to help you um, make sure you're recording your your books correctly? Law firms, I mean, all of them will be there. It's going to be a blast. It definitely takes
0: folks from every industry to make the cannabis industry function at scale. Uh, You can't quite have everything in-house anymore. You know, you need to (laughs) have proper accounting, proper SOPs and supply chain management and investors and more, right?
1: Yeah, so, and I think that's that's for sure part of it. And I think you see like a rise in fractional C-suite work uh, as a result of that, because people and companies, I should say, are struggling to pay um, all of their executives full-time salaries now. Uh, so you know, if you can outsource some of that work, you know, those companies are vastly important to the space right now, and I don't think uh, skipping over them because they're service providers uh, is necessarily. Uh, beneficial to to the person skipping over them at this junction.
0: Right. Almost from any perspective on the financial side or even on quality that really takes that consistency and
1: kind of fine tuning and measuring to run efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. And running efficiently is the through line of our, especially one of our stages. We'll have two stages at this event. One very, very focused on CPG and brands, right? You know, the, the future of cannabis retail and how these products intersect um, you know with out outside retail segments I mean there's a lot to be discussed there uh, about how cannabis will be seen by the consumer in five years and ten years and beyond. but then the other stage is very focused on how do companies stay and and continue to be competitive in 12 to 18 months It's by operational streamlining and efficiencies um, and that that's a huge discussion point not only at our event but really just in the industry. yeah it's it's
0: ongoing as everyone tries to figure out, the next thing, you know, with this industry for sort of forging its own path for the last decade, mm-hmm. you know, we all like to think we're veterans, but still it's an ever-changing landscape, uh, as it, as it goes and as laws pass and states open up. Benzinga wasn't always, um, brand facing and CPG focused. It actually got its start as more of an investment only conference, or could you explain a little bit of that evolution?
1: Yeah. So would it help to, Kind of do a background on Benzinga as a whole uh, in that sense. Yeah, definitely. The I know that uh,
0: Jason Raznick is behind yeah. it. And um, I also saw that Benzinga
1: was just a made-up word from his
0: childhood. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jason is the scrappiest, most interesting guy you'll ever meet. If you saw him walking down the hall, you would not peg him for somebody who just sold his company for 300 million bucks, right? You know, it's he's just a good, approachable dude. That said, you know he works hard, and we still operate in a very scrappy, hustle, you know, streamlined sense. There's that word again. Um, but when it comes to Benzinga itself, we cover all markets and all industries on Benzinga.com. We are not centric to cannabis. Uh, we've been around for about twelve years uh, doing that. You know, so you'll see a lot of stock news. You'll see a lot of news about Elon Musk. You'll see a lot of news uh, about what is affecting. The economy today, a lot of Jerome Powell right now, and Janet Yellen, and, and you know U.S. China trade, uh, you know, so things that affect your pocketbook and, and your investment portfolio. That's that's who we are. Is we want to help the individual grow their wealth, uh, and we're there for for the individual. You know, we're not necessarily a site for institutions. And investor institutions, albeit we encourage them to come to our site too, of course. Uh, But we are the site for retail investors and for individual people like you and me uh, to to really better their financial health. So, you know, that in mind, that's who we are as a company. These events are um, products of us being willing to dive into emerging markets like cannabis, like psychedelics, like fintech, like crypto. Um, and, And those markets in particular there's a lot of interest and, and, you know, people will come to a site like Benzinga to learn a little more to to see, you know, should I invest in cannabis stocks right now? Uh, is it a good buying opportunity that they're so low? Um, you you know, there's a lot of different content out there, right? I'm not going to just, you know, give you financial advice. It's not what we're here for, but we are here to provide you the full context of what's happening in the industry. And I will clarify in the cannabis space, a lot of people think we're, we're, we're corporate, uh, you know, publication you know supporting mso's and you know we we hate the original cannabis industry we will cover you know a we're a we're a media organization so we're going to cover both sides but we're also going to cover news that moves the industry right and and the companies that move the industry are the ones with the largest balance sheets at the end of the day and with that being said we cover new company launches product launches for private companies in California. And, you know, we try and cover all of it as best we can. Uh, But, you know, our Cannabis News Desk is a team of four people actively writing, and they push out 30, 40 articles a day. So, you know, we are a huge, like, media platform with several million people reading our cannabis articles a month. Um, But it, it just goes to show you that we aren't trying to play one side of the aisle. What we are trying to do is provide the most up-to-date news from a financial and economical sense to our investor community. Right, right. And I can see how that
0: may have a perspective sometimes that it's playing away from a legacy market or yeah. more into the pocketbooks. But I totally understand the perspective there on, you know, the reality of what's what's shaking the industry and how things actually change. And it takes these MSOs and giant companies to really get it done and have the backing to you know involve the state involve any speakers and representatives and and much more there you know and yeah uh, there's value on both sides you know I i've used the benzinga cannabis site for the last few years constantly yes. <laughs> it's a it's partially like a home page just checking on the lay of the land Understanding if I missed anything that's going to uh, impact like uh, compliance and things like that that I used to work in a little heavy, a little more heavily, um, mm-hmm. you know, knowing about metric and BioTrack and following their their litigation and state process has been a little bit of a battle and a good consolidation of the landscape for these emerging industries is always needed, um, providing some resources and and guidance uh, across the board and especially been interested in seeing the psychedelic side start to spin up. It's um, very intriguing having a little bit of a, a psychonaut background myself. Um, uh, I'm excited to see what happens here as the industry matures there, but also maybe a little, a little tentative, to be honest. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that element of the conference um, mm-hmm. down in Miami.
1: It's exciting. Uh, I mean, the, I'll have conversations with some of these psychedelic companies, and my, I'm blown away by, uh, how much potential there is in this medicine, um, you know, for people to just conquer their addictions, kind of clear the slate and yeah. get, get over some things. It's exactly. great for that. <laughs> and to your other point though, like metric is a perfect example of, of Ziga, excuse me, in there and our coverage uh, around the space. I mean, we, we actively covered them, and uh, their, the, the Michigan kind of fiasco a couple of weeks ago. Um, but we're not going to not feature them, right? not cover their the pros about them as well. You know, they deserve, yeah. our yeah, readers totally. deserve, deserve both sides. And, and that's how we view these companies in the space. And, you know, if you look at the earnings reports that come out, uh, the headlines will generally say it all. You know, a lot of our partners will, you know, you'll see editorial headlines because there's a separation of church and state between those people who come to the events, uh, as well as what our news desk does, because they're not going to be affected Uh, by what happens on any other part of Benzinga, you know, with us trying to connect companies to investors or, or partners or whatever that may be. Uh, But the reason I say that is if you look at the headlines, you'll see us say um, their stocks tanking, you know, due to their earnings, you know, like, uh, this is why they're down 30%, right? You know, (laughs) so like, we have all of that on our website, you just have to go look. Yeah, and and, and having that transparency and the
0: um, you know, the journalistic integrity, I guess, mm-hmm. to report it as it is, I think is valuable as well for folks that may be considering entering the industry on a personal or you know, operational level. Uh, that is just invaluable across the board, especially with some larger brands. Getting involved in the conference this year, I saw that we've got some folks coming down from Twitter, the U.S. Sales and Partnerships Manager, and then the Brand Strategy Manager with some Uber Mm -hmm. folks making an appearance as well. Um, Yeah, Talking about Twitter ads and the changes around the corner there, I think that industry has been waiting a long time for a social media platform to kind of open the
1: horizon. They absolutely are. Yeah, this this is huge, I think. And this is the first cannabis conference Twitter will be ever be at. And as of recording this episode, this by as of this morning, it seems Elon is aware that they're speaking at our conference, and he's thrilled about it. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we may get a tweet from Elon. Who knows? I don't know. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is a very big moment um, for normalization of advertising for this industry, which has been so hard. For companies and brands to date, and it's, it's hard to create a consistent product and actually achieve what CPG actually is if you can't market that product to a consumer. Um,
0: right, finding that niche is important in the brand strategy. You can't just build that in a vacuum and advertise, you know, only on billboards or local venues.
1: Exactly. So I think, you know, that's big for us. And the Uber, I'm I'm very excited about Uber. Albeit they can really only talk about Canada, uh, just because of the size of that. Um, company and, you know, they're not going to do any forward-looking statements into the cannabis industry, but they are actively participating in commerce in cannabis. And that is a, a name that everybody knows, period, in the country. There's no other qualifier needed for that. And I think what you can see about those two companies joining our event is we want to be at the forefront of cannabis joining uh, the fold as a household known industry. You know, with alcohol, with pharmaceuticals, uh, with commerce, with advertising. And we want to be a place where education and content uh, and attendees can come find that education and content rather, um, you know, to understand what's next and understand how the cannabis industry can go from here uh, to there. Yeah, I'd say
0: the participation of both of those companies really shows that some of that societal stigma is being cleared away on the on the on the business level. I know that it's 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 long lasting and it may be here for many more years, but the more of that we can clear off the table, the more these businesses can come and really compete, represent themselves honestly and efficiently. I think that it's it bodes well both for business and for consumers. I I really do think that, you know, the better businesses in cannabis have a lot to provide to cannabis connoisseurs and folks interested, because a better business in general creates higher quality Mm -hmm. or more consistent quality, which as a, you know, as a consumer is all good, (laughs) right? (laughs) So there's a, I think that's a win-win there in the, uh, in the bringing in those bigger brands, because there's a lot of strategy and knowledge and, and very intelligent folks in those industries that maybe have been hesitant about touching cannabis or crossing that green line and um, seeing Twitter do that. Maybe we'd see some other companies or the dominoes may start to fall uh,
1: faster than we'd expect. Well, Rob, I think this is where you could probably, you know, I talk about this quite often on my show, is the education around cannabis and how cannabis can be used, you know, in a number of different senses. The, The education from this industry, to me is lacking. Um and you know I so ironically back to the conference Montel Williams agrees with me. We had him on discussing Twitter on our live stream uh about a week ago, maybe maybe a week or two ago. Um but he is overall unimpressed with how the cannabis industry has developed itself. You Kinda know, and, came and out
0: I, of the basement Yeah, and I, nobody really paid attention for a while. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And I think you know, for me, I, I think the cannabis industry is incredible. You know, so I'm, you know, I, I don't need to clarify too much past that. But I think the education has really been centric to um, trying to understand strains and, and terpenes and, you know, like where products are for the consumers that have supported the industry to date. But if you want to introduce new consumers, we need better education around edibles around the health and wellness side um, you know, around the medicine that it can be, um, and not necessarily focus on just the intoxicating part of it. Um, which right. is a valid part of this industry. Uh, I do want to say, but you know, for, for me at Rob, I mean, you're welcome to disagree with me on that. My friend, I actually have no issue with that. Um, I just feel like the education needs to take several steps forward before normalization is accepted.
0: Yeah. Really in helping with the, the therapeutic understanding, you know, yeah. Moderation, how to how to work cannabis into your life. There's a lot of knowledge there that comes before nerding out about the cultivars <laughs> or the terpene content or the the different kinds of effects that uh, you know a connoisseur minded consumer may think is everything about the product or is like the only important thing. Many folks are busy, you know, working the day to day. They don't necessarily have the interest, or there's probably not a need per se for those different levels of consumers. And I think CPGs have solved that by offering quality at every level, at offering knowledge at every level. It doesn't matter where someone comes to the industry, whatever that be, there's a level or a a way for them to approach it. And um, we've seen cannabis companies try to, you know, do effect based or say, you know, this product maybe is good for nausea versus headaches or anxiety and sleep. I think that's a good step in that direction. And then really, we're just waiting on the science. It's, it seems like there's not enough research that's been done to really hang your hat on terpenes or on, on those kinds of effects yet. So I, right. and there's to be needs fair, across the board.
1: Yeah, we need a political catalyst too. Uh, I mean, to be fair to a lot of those companies that are trying to push education out there and, and what they're trying to push, like they need help. <laughs> and i totally so get that yeah. <laughs> yeah and the political
0: catalyst man speaking on on that front i saw the some benzinga news um, pushing on biden a little bit and and hoping really that there's some a decriminalization push mm-hmm. for the 2024 elections well, i think that would be pretty wild to see i recently learned about a 1961 treaty though signed by the un and several other countries that restricts cannabis from being descheduled so I don't know how that treaty would really shake out in a national, like a national descheduling conversation.
1: My, now I'm not actually familiar with the treaty, but I will say if they want to ignore the treaty, if they want to um, fix the treaty, I don't think anybody should believe that they couldn't.
0: That's actually a very good point. Like, okay, we can, <laughs> we can acknowledge that this, that this agreement exists from 60 years ago, and we could probably update it for the modern times. Yeah. I think it was called the Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. And the, it came up recently because some of the, the, uh, the UN is watching Germany as they roll things out, and Switzerland mm-hmm. that has experiments coming around the corner. They they look at the U.S.'s uh, allowing the states to legalize as a little bit of um, a gray area in, when it comes to the treaty. I think we're thankful for the state federal designation here on the U.S. side that maybe other countries don't have mm-hmm. um, underneath their. It does their look like Germany well. is
1: going to legalize. It just it, it looks like in a much more regulated and lesser sense than they wanted to originally.
0: Yeah, I know they had a Green Party like really pushing just full legalization for a while and uh, you know some, some big representatives there. But I'm happy to see other countries following, uh, following in the footsteps here for, of Canada and the U.S.
1: Yeah. It, you know, I think the U.S., if they want to get on board, there's nothing stopping them. The only thing stopping them that I can see right now is political posturing and it's all a game of politics at the end of the day yeah. there. And and like you know getting these small wins in election season may annoy and frustrate people but i mean if that's how we got to get it done then that's how we got to get it done. Right? Yeah.
0: Historically
1: that progress is still progress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. You know if if a certain political party needs a win, if they do it, great. Um, but you know, if they spend two years telling us they're going to do it and then don't do it, um, that's a red flag. Yeah. Not so great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But we will have several politicians at the event on April 11th and 12th. And I will point out y'all, if you all can't make the event, we'll have all this content available on our socials and uh, on our website post event as well. But uh, of course we want, you know, everybody to experience this in person, especially if you're a cannabis professional, because if you do... I guarantee you the networking is somewhat life-changing. Um, you know, if you haven't been to an event, especially, the people you meet in two days at an event is is more networking than you can get done in months not going to an event. And that's just at events across the board, not just at Benzinga specifically.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I, have, I am a little bit more introverted uh, than extroverted. <laughs> and I find events sometimes stressful, but the the networking and the ability to be face-to-face and really represent yourself truly rather than just cold calling via email or just reaching out on LinkedIn is uh, completely worth it. I'll throw my hat in that ring. Uh, I've I've learned to love conferences over the last few years after starting with trade shows and getting overwhelmed by a few MJ BizCons early on. <laughs> uh, well, there- I feel like I'm old hat on them now and uh, I, I'm starting to get some conference friends and folks I see at these conferences um, as the business evolves and the industry changes.
1: Yeah, and I, you know we try and offer as much guidance as possible you know and as much help. like people can set meetings with the rest of the attendees now. Like, you, I saw
0: that app um, mm-hmm. Brello, I believe. It's, yeah. uh, that's awesome, man You can s- basically select your topics and then say whether or not you'd like to find a mentor or be a mentor mm-hmm. or if you're looking for investment or would like to invest. I think that really helps attendees get some of that initial groundwork laid, so maybe they can know where to focus their networking efforts as well. I
1: think I probably could have used something like that my first (laughs) cannabis conference. (laughs) Well, and we're so the two pillars of our events, you know, it's content and networking. You know, and I I know that sounds very well, duh, um, but we do both very well. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) that's what I'll say is is we bring the best leaders in the industry to come speak at our events. Um, and I, if you don't I see them there, your... it's probably a timing issue, you know, and that's our ethos as a B2B event. We, you know, MJ biz is a partner of ours. You know, we, we help each other promote our events and I, I very much enjoy that team and, and working with that team. Um, and I hope they th- they feel the same, but <laughs> you know, for us, our ethos is a little different. We want all the C suites walking every part of our floor, you know, so we're going to be a very high quality, high level audience. Um, anywhere you go in the event, you know, to the two to three thousand people that are there,
0: right? Yeah, definitely. Looking at the speaker lineup, um, C-suite presidents, leadership roles, just down the down the whole list. That's awesome, as those folks really have the knowledge and experience to not only put on some great speaking sessions and bring some insight on the industry, but to drive that audience and you know make sure there are lucrative conversations and networking to be had. Across the board,
1: yeah, exactly. Do you think
0: that the conference will um, be a little different this year, bringing in brands and some of the more consumer-facing products, or how do you foresee that that change being? I saw that the registrations actually up,
1: so it's good for for the conference as well. Yeah, it's a. Uh, we are. We must be one of the only, if not the only, event growing in this market right now. It's not an easy thing. Um, it's not. It's been a very very busy few months. Um, I'm I'm going to say, but that said, it's it's something that I'm very proud of, obviously. Um but I think this event in particular is meant to not only provide access to potential capital, and that's both debt and equity, and obviously in this, you know, any event that you go to, even if it's a sell-side conference being, you know, an investment bank that has their, their loyal following of investors. It has to be there. Um, you know, Even if you're invited to speak at one of those, it doesn't mean that you're going to get an investment. right? You know, Even if you're invited to speak at ours, it doesn't mean you're going to get an investment. But we are a mirror image of what capital is in the market when it comes to the investors that are at our event. And that means we will have every major debt provider there uh, <laughs> without a hesitation, I can say that, uh, all your real estate investment trusts, all of your bdcs, all of your your creditors, we have a number of banks there, uh service providers playing middleman between financial institutions and and operators. Um there's a ton that are going to be there on the debt side. Equity, we'll have several private equity funds there, a lot of family offices will be there, a lot of accredited investors are there. You know, but it it, it will be harder to get funding from them right now.
0: Yeah, it's not always uh, it's not always a simple simple game to get funding, but having that environment to you know attempt those pitches or to network and find who who you may need to learn more about is uh, is again invaluable. As doing that cold online, you know, at your house with coffee is
1: efficient, <laughs> but not not the greatest. <laughs> True. Well, and events are a it it should be a purposeful trip right? Don't go to an event if you're not ready to go to an event, right? Some wisdom because you are not going to come out with value, but go to an event. If you're looking to build your brand recognition, go to an event. If you're looking for thought leadership, um, go to an event. If you're looking to, uh, for vendors or services or go to an event, if you're looking for investors and you're ready for that. Um, but if you just need a million dollars and you've not thought about a deck, you've not thought about a pitch, you've not thought about how the market overall is and how your company could capture that market share and where it plays into that and who your competition is, you need to do that work before you come to our event.
0: There's definitely some legwork there if you're looking to maximize the value or optimize that value. Uh, it's not just walk in the door. <laughs> yeah, and
1: that's what we want. You know, We want everybody to have the best experience possible, but you have to be ready for it. Um, because the people that you want to talk to are there. I, I, I 99% promise you that.
0: Right. And that, that is the exciting, exciting thing about the conference. I think over the last few years, I've been to several conferences with software companies. Um, I've been the booth guy at a few <laughs> that maybe weren't as well frequented, or maybe were a little sleepy on the conference side and it can definitely, uh, it can definitely be a slow two days at some of these so it's awesome to know that you know folks folks are going to be there and that you know the industry's watching i think the the benzinga ad i've got on the site right now is you know that who's who in cannabis mm-hmm. at benzinga miami i think that sums it up well and starts to make a an impact on the east coast as well, as we see all of these states open and then see some of the money that's maybe been on the sidelines start to enter the field or be
1: willing to look at the field a little closer. Yeah. And, you know, I I have to say, when you look at those who are plant touching in this industry that are at our event, um, and not even just at our event, but just in the industry in general, I think we're going to see a shift over the next year, Um, not necessarily at the very top, but, you know, the kind of somewhat, you know, middle to middle top uh, in terms of who's actually there. And you know who is making waves and who is a top ten to fifteen MSO, um, and you don't necessarily need to be public for that to happen because there are tons of amazing private companies out there, and we're going to have a lot of them at our event. Um, you know the the new Missouri operators that are winning right now, Greenlight, oh, yeah. Belief, um, Good Day Farms, C um, three Industries, coming online. yeah, like all those like major private. Um, SSOs and MSOs, those are the those are the big targets. I think you know when when looking at the next twelve to eighteen months, those are the the companies that could potentially win and take a lot of market share from those companies that are in the spotlight and struggling to stay there.
0: Yeah, right. They are uh, these other guys are still in their think tank or within their single state, um, really rolling out business. I know the Missouri medical scene had had rolled out completely providing enough locations and there was enough wholesale stock at least at first that man when that light went green (laughs) kansas city just went went off the map and uh i went back for lucky leaf recently and it was a completely different energy in parts of the city man i really enjoyed seeing that finally happen i moved away from kansas i grew up there Mm -hmm. outside of kansas city went to k-state and left for the cannabis industry in about 2009 and started cultivating in Colorado. And I always told people I would come back when cannabis was legal. And uh, it was cool to see, hey man, it's actually, it's here now. <laughs> this is a <our> reality <laughs> 10 years later. And man, are they just raking it in. I am yeah. Uh, seeing the numbers that Missouri has been able to churn is, it, is going to be historic. And yes. I think other states will watch that and try to learn really what have these SSOs done to to prepare or mm-hmm. how was the state able to, uh, to turn that profit and, uh, and revenue. I think the other question there now is just supply chain. I think they already hit a little bit of an issue that's raising prices, at least on the West side of the state. So hopefully over the next year, that'll get kind of evened out as, um, that, that new, that new hotness of everyone needs to rush to the dispensary will settle and you'll get your regular consumers and yeah. a little more day to day.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, when it comes to to price and compression issues, I've talked to a few marketing people recently, and there are some marketers out there who, you know, look at like an organogram in Canada, who stayed one of the top brands, and basically just said, we're not going to follow these pricing trends. Why would we like that? That's where we're, we're going to lose money. Like, like we're, we're going to keep our prices where they are. And granted, there's some power there with how large that company is. Um, but with that being said, you know, there, there are some of these companies that could hold fast and hold true and somewhat slow down these price and compression issues. Um, you know, but there haven't been a lot of companies to do that outside of maybe Organogram and Floor Growth Corps on the, on the ancillary side, you know, with their Vessel Brands ancillary products. Um, you know, so I think there's, there's some discussion there to be had. Have operators actually responded appropriately? Now, granted, I'm not an operator and they would know better than me, fully understand that. Uh, but just kind of looking at these different markets and companies that have had success just keeping their products somewhat at a, at a premium, it's interesting yeah. to think about.
0: Right. And it's partially comes with the branding, the strategy there, the narrative that comes with the products. And again, we, we come full circle back to education. And, mm-hmm. you know, consumer education is so important for premiumization and for product differentiation as well as a, a consumer just new to the industry is not going not gonna to worry about maybe like a long cure or a special cultivar or, or a rare terpene. They're, they're looking for the deals or just want something fast and easy. Um, that's where I think there's also a, a weird balance. And shifting some of the pre-roll gummy edible kind of consumers to more of a connoisseur perspective long-term could perhaps help in that in that premium premiumization but uh takes time and i mean the craft industry for beer took how long to really reach the stage it's at now i think we're looking at that same kind of trajectory for cannabis maybe slightly accelerated
1: (laughs) you know it's interesting though like yeah the the flower portion of cannabis is is the winner? You know, it's the vast winner by far right now, and understandably so because that's what's keeping the industry afloat. But you know, think about like these new consumers. If I'm not a cannabis user at all, you know, and and I come into the cannabis space via a gummy or a beverage, why would I want to smoke? Yeah. Like, why? Why would I all of a sudden choose to <laughs> smoke something
0: after you've been eating the? Delicious, different fruit flavored gummies. Yeah, I just think
1: there's like some consumer behavior that companies aren't, not, they, they feel like gummies are a funnel to smoking. And I feel like there's a gap there. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, it's actually an alt, it's a true alternate. The gummies and tincture approach, or, you know, topicals even. If you come in and with topicals, why would you want to start ingesting if you're just treating, you know, arthritis
1: or you know, exactly. different things like that? Which is where the education right back there. just (laughs) like we have to provide different education for different levels of consumers and you can't expect everybody to want to, uh, to smoke flour. Uh, You know, it's just not realistic, I think for this industry moving forward.
0: Yeah. And honestly, from a health perspective, I think that long-term and this may, uh, this may turn some folks off. So uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think from a long-term perspective, we may see a decline in combustion as that awareness and education continues to rise.
1: Maybe um, percentage wise. I, you know, I don't know that you'll see a decline in like sales, right? But like right, percentage of right. the overall usage in the industry, if you get those new consumers coming in, which everybody should want, right? We want new consumers coming in. Uh, Cause like that top 20% in most retail markets now uh, is the, the group of people that buys 80% of your product. Right,
0: Pareto principle
1: coming true again. Exactly. So you want those people uh, coming in and maybe increasing that that twenty percent, you know, pushing those top twenty percent consumers a little bit from consumer share, market share of the consumer. I don't know. I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know how to finish that, but uh, it's just interesting. These are all the conversations we're going to have next week
0: uh, at the yeah, event. It's definitely, just the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, each one can be a whole speaking session or breakout group or. Ongoing relationship with some of these folks that will be attending. I think that the the question there on the education side is a lot of folks look back and say the bud tenders should be con, should be educating, but I'm starting to I'm starting to fight that um, that perception because we're putting a lot of pressure on these bud tenders who are already providing service. You know, trying to be friendly to consumers at all levels of education. There's only so much. It's not realistic
1: that they can roll out. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's it's not realistic, and you know this is where that digital marketing and social media presence comes into comes into play. And Meta needs to get on board, (laughs) like Twitter and LinkedIn are somewhat. You know, there's still some improvements that Twitter can make to their rollout, but at least they're doing something now. Um, You know, but most people that are bud tenders like are, are similar, most likely to most people who are in retail. You know, folding. You know, you know, kind of selling clothing, or that are bartenders or servers in a, in a in a restaurant. If they want to be good at their job, they'll learn the product they're selling. Um, it doesn't mean they're, they're necessarily not passionate, provide, right? Or they're not going to provide that
0: sommelier level.
1: Yeah, it's uh, not realistic knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and yeah. I think everybody thinks that the bud tenders are these long term consumers who are super passionate about weed, but I, you you can't have that as a job description (laughs) it's just not like you're not gonna you're not gonna find as many people as you think you will
0: yeah definitely and especially with the um like you know in the trim room and at the bud tender line it's a great it's a great entry into the industry and a lot of folks may find that as like an early role where they're interested in other things and they're you know continuing to learn more but still there's folks who just they need a constant um they need a job. They need to provide for their family. And, yeah. you know, it's a great industry to be a part of right now as it's actually growing and expanding. And I think overlooking that and saying that everyone should be educating is uh, uh, definitely a kind of where the industry
1: can go off the track a little bit. Well, and then you got to start talking about compensation. Right. right? Yeah. Like They're providing them, this. <laughs> exactly. Like, are we compensating but tenders appropriately? Because this industry is not doing so hot when it comes to workforce right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a good session for the next Benzinga. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know, we're, we're talking about that with a few leaders like Vangston and, and cannabis team. And we're actually going to bring in an employment lawyer from Michigan to chat about engaging the workforce, the cannabis workforce amidst a capital crunch. So that's, Excellent. that's a session for operators to not only figure out how to plan your hires and fires, right? You, you know, any good business, you know, if you're not firing appropriately and maybe somewhat consistently as needed, I should say, you know, then you're going to have to do it in bunches eventually. And that's what yeah. we've seen with a lot of these MSOs is they fire that's 100 people at a time.
0: Right, right. Or this copycat kind of software approach. Uh I was recently part of one of those bunches for a point of sale company. <laughs>
1: it's yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really... You know, I think that type of planning your workforce efficiently for the next year, as well as protecting them, is something that everyone in this industry needs to get better at.
0: Yeah, and again, bringing in that knowledge outside the industry, not having to go green on everything, and relying on some of these folks who've been experts in their fields, you know, for other industries and other niches to, you know, come in and help now, I think is... It's a wonderful opportunity for the industry overall, and uh, you know, Benzinga definitely looks like it's going to be a catalyst for a lot of great business and a lot of great conversations here
1: soon. That's the goal, man, and that's what we want. We want everybody to come to the beach and do some business. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like that—that yeah. that is the ultimate goal. We want everybody to leave our event with business cards, with uh, things they didn't know the two days before they came. Um, there's a, there's a lot of different reasons to come. But I promise you, there is a reason for you, you know, at least one. That said, I still go back to, you know, come when you're ready.
0: I think that's good to do the legwork and make sure you're uh, ready to present or ready to talk and, uh, and network. And, well, thank you, man, for, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your insight and wisdom. Um, the work on the podcast is, is amazing. So keep up all that good stuff on your side. Now, Rock, we're going to have to
1: have you on. Offer is out there,
0: my friend. We'll definitely follow up on that one. And uh, in the meantime, where can folks learn more or get signed up for the conference here coming in Miami?
1: Yeah, so we're all very accessible. You know, we are a team of 10, 15 people putting on one of the best events in the industry, but we will all respond. Uh, It's Elliot Lane at Benzinga.com, E-L-L-I-O-T-L-A-N-E at Benzinga.com. Um, my CEO is Jason at Benzinga.com. You know, uh, if you want to email to inquire about tickets, events at Benzinga.com. So there's several email addresses for you all to use. That said, if you want to go in for tickets, BZcannabis.com, BZcannabis.com and a code, uh, just for listeners of this podcast, we have Elliot 30, E-L-L-I-O-T three zero, um, you can use that for 30% off a GA or a VIP ticket. But we would love for everybody to be there. We want this to be the most effective event possible. Uh, So we wanna hear from you. We wanna hear what you're looking for. We wanna hear feedback after the event. And we're always striving to be better.
0: Yeah. Thank you again, Elliot. I can't wait to get down there with apartment 113. We're going to do some on the ground recording. We're going to have some daily articles about the different networking sessions and definitely uh, get the full experience there. So thank you again, man. Yeah. Thank you, Rob, for having me. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis operations consulting, agile product management for software development, and connoisseurship services and events. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.